Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very interesting item. If you'll follow me over here. Oh, no, 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 not that way. Uh, I know that door uh, may seem like a, an innocent closet, but if you go in there, I cannot guarantee that you will not find a secret elevator. An elevator that takes us even further below the shop, past the basement where our laboratory is set up, down into the subterranean levels. Who knows what sort of evils lurk in those nether reaches of this shop. And that reminds me of a story and the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Netflix film, They Clone Tyrone. So, They Clone Tyrone came out on Netflix. It had a, a very limited run in the theaters and then went straight to Netflix this past week. And just from the trailers that I saw, of course, uh, some of the movies I've gone to recently have had the trailer and seeing the trailers online, I thought, this seems like a really interesting movie. It kind of felt like it had a sci-fi vibe to it. Definitely, you're dealing with cloning, so it definitely felt like it was going to be sci-fi, but... Some of the scenes looked like they were really building up suspense and tension and almost felt like a thriller. Maybe even, uh, was it going to delve into horror? Maybe. I wasn't quite sure. I did know that it was going to have some comedy in it. When you have uh, an actor like Jamie Foxx, you can't help but have some, some funny scenes and some funny dialogue because uh, he's such a fantastic actor, but some of his comedic performances are some of my favorites and, and does a fantastic job at all of them. But just from the trailer, you saw there was going to be some funny moments. So I really wasn't sure what was going to be in store for me with this movie. So first chance I got, I sat down and watched it. Unfortunately, I went to record the episode and we had a wicked storm here uh, where I live in Northwest Pennsylvania and uh, the power was going in and out. So I wasn't able to record uh, to get it on for Thursday's show, but uh, hey, it's Friday, and it's better late than never. But uh, once I saw They Clone Tyrone, I was really, really excited to talk about it, because it really is an interesting movie, and there's so many aspects of this, and I'm going to say this right off the bat. There are going to be spoilers in this uh, discussion or talk about the movie, but I'm going to try to not be too spoilery. I'm not going to give you a play-by-play -play of every scene in this, but we are going to talk about the characters and the actors. We are going to talk about some of the bigger themes, uh, some of the influences, some of the references that you get throughout this. We're going to be talking about the First-time director, well, not first-time, I mean, he's done a lot of TV, he's worked in film and television for years, doing all sorts of different things, writing, working in the sound, he's directed some television, but this is his first major motion picture, uh, Joel Taylor, who uh, I'm so excited about this guy's career and can't wait to see 
what else he comes up with in hopefully the not too distant future. So we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more, but there are going to be some spoilers. So from here on out, uh, yeah, I'm going to just get this right out of the way. There are going to be some spoilers. So go watch They Cloned Tyrone and come back, listen to my thoughts and see uh, how they compare with what you thought of this film. So They Cloned Tyrone, uh, just kind of a, a basic breakdown of this. It's about a, a group of characters. Some crazy shit starts happening in their neighborhood, the Glen. They refer to a lot in this. I, I don't know if that's the town or if that's just the neighborhood, but uh, some crazy shit starts going down uh, around this, centered around this character, Fontaine, played by John Boyega. And they start to delve into this mystery of what's going on with Fontaine and what's going on with this secret laboratory, secret research center that they find in a, a secret elevator underneath this house. And it just goes off the rails from there as far as like action and mystery and suspense and sci-fi fun. And it gets, it gets crazy and in all the best ways. So uh, that, that's kind of a, a brief synopsis. We're going to delve into uh, the the nuts and bolts of it a little more as we talk about the characters and talk about some of the bigger themes. And we'll talk about the finale, the, the climax of the movie in a little bit more detail and, and kind of what this movie's about. Ultimately, uh, it's a very multifaceted movie. It's about a lot of different things, a lot of different aspects. But I think Probably the best way to start off talk about this movie is to talk about these three main characters. And I am going to talk about them individually, but I'm also going to talk about them as a group because they really are kind of a, a, a trio of characters that that make up this, this group that is the the main protagonist of this movie. But first and foremost, you got John Boyega as Fontaine. Of course, John Boyega. Uh, I loved him in Star Wars, the the new sequel trilogy. I just don't like how the tr sequel trilogy treated him. Uh, I thought they did a good job introducing the character in the first movie, Force Awakens. Then I think his character just kind of got sidelined and pushed to the, to the back of the line in Last Jedi. And the third movie, Rise of Skywalker, uh, they, they tried to bring him back to the forefront. But I just think that character was so missed, the Finn character, so mismanaged in that trilogy. And it, it makes me want to see, like, you know, I, I not to get off on a tangent here, but a lot of people shit on the sequel trilogy. I think the sequel trilogy had a lot of potential that just wasn't met because there wasn't a singular focus. Uh, somebody making the decisions and you know like George Lucas the the first uh trilogy the prequel trilogy was all George Lucas coming up with this story and and it was his singular vision you didn't have a singular vision you had what essentially was going to be three different people coming up with three essentially different movies and when that shit failed and failed miserably with last jedi they had to go back to jj abrams and it just it was it was a clusterfuck but it had a lot of good ideas and it had a lot of good and interesting ideas for characters and you know the ray character as much shit as everyone gives about the ray character possibly getting a, another movie if not a trilogy of movies i think it's a good idea if the character is written better because uh, Daisy Ridley, I think, did a good job. I think the character's interesting in and of herself. 
Uh, I just don't think it, the the character was written very well, and they were trying to do too many things at once with that sequel trilogy. I think the same could be said with the Finn character. I think John Boyega did a really good job with this character, what he was given. I just don't think the character was given much in the way of a coherent story arc. And I would like to see John Boyega reprise his role as Finn and and get a better story for him. Uh, because I really think he's a, a fantastic actor and that doesn't change as he plays Fontaine in this movie. I will, I'll say it right here and now. I think he should be nominated for some awards. You know, I don't know whether he'll win or not. It's kind of speculative because, you know, we haven't seen all the movies this year. But his performance, I think, was at the very least worthy of being nominated for awards because I thought he did a fantastic job for a character that is kind of the strong silent type. And he doesn't get a ton of dialogue, at least early on. Uh, he does so much acting beyond just the words that are coming out of his mouth. He does so many, so much acting with his body language and his facial expressions and just the emoting that he does. It just, it was, there were some powerful scenes that just gave me chills because it, it was such a well-acted scene. But John Boyega plays Fontaine, who is a drug dealer, and he's... Well, I'll get into that in a little bit. I'm gonna let me talk about the other two characters real quick. Uh, you've got Jamie Foxx plays Slick Charles. He is a pimp and very much cut from the '70s uh, black exploitation film style of pimp. Uh, I know the one outfit that he had, uh, the one with the the brown leather jacket or fake leather jacket with the the fur collar that was actually uh inspired by the young blood priest character from superfly so you had a lot of influences there with that character jamie fox does a fantastic job and uh tiana paris as yo-yo she is a prostitute and she does a, a wonderful job of course uh, tiana paris if you're into marvel uh she plays the monica rambeau character and so excited to see her. I think probably I'm more excited about her character and her performance in the new Marvels movie that is coming out than than anybody else. So I just love her as an actress and was really excited to see her in this role. But these three characters, I thought it was a really interesting choice for these characters because you have John Boyega as Fontaine, who's a drug dealer. You have Jamie Foxx as Slick Charles, who is a pimp. You have uh, Tayana Paris as Yo-Yo, who is a prostitute, and drug dealers, pimps, prostitutes. These are all roles that, especially like in the 60s and 70s during the black exploitation uh, boom and film, and you know, even in the past few decades between there and here you have black actors that are kind of relegated a lot of them are relegated to roles like that and you had so you had these three stereotypically black roles in, in film and television and usually portrayed as uh, maybe not villains but bad guys their characters and, and stereotypes uh, of characters that are marginalized in society and uh, they're they're looked down upon and I really thought it was an interesting idea to take these characters a drug dealer a pimp 
a prostitute, three character stereotypes that would be, like I said, looked down upon, if not bad guys in a movie or in another movie and in a different time or maybe even in today's time. But you've got these three types of characters that normally would be a bad guy or somebody looked down upon and they're your heroes. And I thought that was really interesting because what I think that the writers did with this, and of course, Joel Taylor and Tony Rettenmare, I hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, not only did Joel Taylor direct this, but he and Tony Rettenmare both wrote this screenplay. And one of the things I found very interesting is that these characters, while they are, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing my breakfast club bit, a drug dealer, a pimp. A prostitute. Uh, I feel that these characters, we really get to know them and see that there's so much more than the the person we see on the outside. You've got Fontaine, who is a drug dealer, but he also kind of has a, a soft spot for this young boy. Uh, I believe he's his name is Junebug, played by a young actor, Tracy Malachi, who uh, you've actually seen him before. Uh, he played a young Dan Turner in Archive 81, a series that I'm so disappointed was canceled because it's probably one of the, the best series that uh, Netflix had come out uh, in the past couple years. Uh, don't, don't get me started on that. But uh, he plays this character, Junebug, and there really is a, a wonderful relationship between Fawn Montaigne and Junebug that we get uh, like two or three really good scenes with them because uh, Fontaine we learned that he had a younger brother that was killed by a cop and you know he kind of looks at Junebug as kind of a surrogate younger brother and they just they have some really touching scenes between the two of them and you, you see the softer side of the Fontaine character he's not the hardened drug dealer thug hood uh, that he is portraying but he does have a, a soft spot and he does have a caring he does have that that older brother that that is looking out for for his like in this case the surrogate younger brother which i, I really liked that aspect of the fontaine character and john boyega's performance was just uh, wonderful with that uh you've got the slick charles character who is a, a pimp and you know all the stereotypes and all of the uh, things that come along with that uh, and he does talk tough and he does all about style and and putting on a show and things like that but when it comes down to it he really does care about uh, Fontaine and Yo-Yo and he does care about community you have Yo-Yo who is a prostitute and you know everybody thinks about prostitutes as you know women who can't do any better so they sell their body that's kind of the stereotype of that but in this movie you see that Yo-Yo is very smart and she, I think, has some of the best. It seems like every time you turn around, she is making some reference towards uh, an 80s sci-fi or horror movie. And those little pop culture references with Yo-Yo were just some of my some of my favorite lines of dialogue in this movie. When she calls, I believe she calls Slick Charles a Jedi mind-tricking motherfucker. I just about lost my shit. My wife was getting ready to go somewhere, and I didn't find out till later that she actually wanted to watch the movie with me, so I will be watching this again, uh, and, and I'll talk about that 
coming up a little bit later, but uh, she, I had to stop the movie and and tell her this line because I just love the line so much uh, from the writers. But also, Tiana Paris's delivery of that line was just phenomenal, just so spot on. So you got these three characters, these three uh, stereotype characters but you learn so much more about them and that they're so much more than what they seem like on the surface and you've got three fantastic actors i think that's probably one of the greatest triumphs of this movie besides the directing besides the writing and the script and a really solid story you have three phenomenal actors john boyega jamie fox Teona paris just knocking it out of park not to mention Kiefer Sutherland, who I didn't realize Kiefer Sutherland was in this movie, but he plays kind of the uh, surrogate bad guy in this. He's not the head honcho, but he's kind of like one or two pegs below the head honcho, and he is he's the guy that you're looking at as the villain for the better part. Well, I can't say the better part of this movie, because for the better part of this movie, the villain is kind of faceless. You don't really know what's going on. It's a huge mystery, and... You don't get the Kiefer Sutherland character until, I'm going to say, like halfway through the film, if not even further into the film. And he does a wonderful job. He's Kiefer freaking Sutherland. You can't go wrong there. Uh, David Allen Greer has a cameo in this as the preacher, and he does a wonderful job. That whole like sermon that he gives is... If I'm not mistaken, maybe I heard this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I heard this right, that like he did all of that kind of off the cuff, just kind of ad-libbed. He just went for it. And David Allen Greer, another freaking phenomenal actor that I, you know, always enjoy seeing him show up in movies and having him in Kiefer Sutherland uh, was, was a nice kind of uh, cherry on top of a really good Sunday. But without going into all of the, like I said, the play-by-play of the movie, uh, our, our heroes find that there is a clandestine organization, a governmental organization of white guys that are trying to control black people. And they're using the Glen as kind of a an experimentation ground and there are certain members in the community like Fontaine like Slick Charles that they are cloning because these are archetypal characters within the black community that need to be there to keep uh to keep things status quo essentially but they find this underground bunker or or base or whatever you want to call it 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 kind of had some james bond villain vibes to it uh they find this and they essentially call in the troops and come together as a community because you have the the isaac character who is a rival drug dealer to fontaine and they have they have beef uh isaac actually kills one of the fontaine clones and played by J. Alphonse Nicholson, who, who does a really good job. Not in it a ton, only like maybe two, three, four scenes, but does does a really good job. But but they all come together as a community to to take down this organization that is experimenting on black people. And and I think that's where it was really interesting. Some of the things they played into as a white guy, I I feel kind of like. Do I have the right to comment on this? Uh, Do I not? But just coming at it from a third party sort of scenario, 
I'm going to give my thoughts on it. And, and I think a lot of the things that they delved into, a lot of the conspiracy theory, uh, a lot of the things that they did from a sci-fi movie standpoint were all very interesting and made this such uh, an interesting watch just from that standpoint. Because you have various products throughout this movie that you see. Although one of them... <laughs> Doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to talk about, but Anaconda malt liquor, actually the same malt liquor they used in Black Dynamite. And Joel Taylor talked about how he wrote it into the script, pretty much just ripping it off and then got the rights to use it. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of a funny nod to that. But you have products. They, they're all, all constantly seeing commercials uh, playing in the background on TVs and, and whatnot for uh, this fried chicken chain. Uh, for this hair cream uh, product. And it was really interesting how they kind of played into the revelation that these things were all being used to uh, subliminally or chemically alter black people into like uh, essentially a, a type of submission. I, I thought, and it was kind of interesting how like uh, like the chicken had something in there that when people eat it, they were just laughing and having a good time, and it kind of it was like that was there to keep black people happy. And you had the hair cream that when you know this one girl is having it applied to her hair as a straightener, essentially. You know, she was complaining about something about, uh, I think, school. She's obviously a teacher and talking about having to, to pay for her own supplies. And then they apply this cream. And then she's like, well, maybe maybe it's not so bad. And it was kind of like that kept her and kept black people complacent, ready to go with the status quo. And then the communion juice, the grape drink or grape juice, if you will, that they show during the David Allen Greer church scene. That was a really interesting aspect that it went into that, I, you know, as a, as a person of faith, as a believer, uh, I've, you know, I felt not offended because I think far too many people are too easily offended, but I was like, oh, that, that can't be. But I, I can understand from a certain point of view, uh, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi, that uh, it could seem like this, but the communion juice kept along with the sermon where he's talking about, you know, you just gotta, you gotta let things go. You just gotta have faith. You gotta be uh, obedient and uh, obedient to faith and things like that. It, you know, it was essentially, I think, saying, you know, faith keeps the black people docile. And a lot of really interesting, heavy as hell concepts here. But it was just really cool to see the different ideas of how it can be perceived that the man, the white man, is trying to control black Americans. And there's a tons of other. They had a ton of other products that we saw, cereal that, that makes an appearance uh, later on in the film at the very end that uh, we don't know what the effects of that were, but uh, you can imagine it's something along those lines. Uh, there's a, a hit song that's out that they use for mind control. That was a really fucking cool scene uh, when they're at this club and then all of a sudden the DJ realizes that uh, Fontaine, Slick Charles, and Yo-Yo, they're on to what's going on and they play this this song and tell people to go uh, everyone else in the club to chase them and they get in a car and the car stalls out and and these people surround them and you know it's all because of the mind control of this music and i thought it was a really interesting aspect i was looking or watching an interview with Joel Taylor where he talked about like the sound design for that with the song they use like the bass beats 
to do like a sub aural frequency thing with Morse code. And the Morse code of these beats actually spelled out uh, chase them, get them, surround them, something like that. And then when this is kind of where we get to meet the Kiefer Sutherland Nixon character, it's where he tells them to to just go about their business and the, the music change, the beat changes to uh, a Morse code message to stand down, essentially. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because I can't remember exactly what he said the Morse code spelled out. But that, to me, one, is cool as shit. It's nothing you'll ever notice when you watch the movie on first viewing. Uh, you may get the the bass and the beats and stuff like that, but on, you know, now knowing this, I can't wait to watch it again to see if I notice it. And it's that kind of attention to detail from a sound design aspect from the, I, I know he talked about the sound designers having to go out and get the Morse code to, to spell all this out. But, but just, it's that kind of attention to detail that sets average directors apart from really good directors. And I think that is something that makes me really excited about Joel Taylor and seeing what he does in the future. Hopefully more with, with science fiction and horror genre stuff like that. But but regardless of what genre uh, of films he does, it's, it's that sort of attention to detail that I think is going to make him a really good director for a really long time. The other thing I thought was really interesting about this was the climax when John Boyega's Fontaine character comes face to face with Nixon's boss and, and the guy who's really in charge of this. And of course, it's already been established that Fontaine is a clone. And when you see him and Slick Charles and Yo-Yo kind of going through these clone pods and you're they're reading off the numbers, it's like B whatever the numbers are. But then you get to they finally find and Fontaine finally finds the clones of himself. The number is A001 or or whatever, suggesting that he was the first clone. And it should include me in, and maybe maybe to a degree on a, a subliminal level it, it did, but you find out that the person in charge of all of this is a scientist, a geneticist, who is an old version of Fontaine. He is the original Fontaine, and all the Fontaines that we've met, and we meet at least three of them, maybe more. They are all the clones of him. And it really was a, an interesting and complicated reason for all of this happening because of what happened to his younger brother. You know, there for a second, Fontaine wonders once he finds out he's a clone, if if the memories of him having a younger brother who was killed by a cop were just planted in there and, and not real. But you find out it was real and it did happen to this original Fontaine. Uh, the geneticist, and that he's trying to keep that from ever happening again. And his answer to this is assimilation. And essentially through genetics over generations, trying to turn black Americans white. And I liked that complexity of it would have been really easy for this movie to be. It's all it's all the man. It's all the government. It's all the white man. They're the bad guys. But the thing I like about this movie the most is that it holds up a mirror to all of society. White people, black people alike. Whether it's holding up that mirror to things like systemic racism and the things that are put in place that, that you know, nobody, everybody kind of takes for granted but they do kind of have some some basis in some racist ideas. Whether it is uh, holding the mirror up to these stereotypes of, of who black people are 
and and the responsibility for each individual person to be more than just the stereotype and, and not being the stereotype and being yourself. Uh, I, I think that's interesting. Holding up the mirror, at, like I said at the very end, where you have a, a black man and his answer is to become white and holding up the mirror to that mentality. And, and I think probably the biggest message of this, and you know, I think this message is probably geared more towards the black community with this movie, but I think it's a a message that we can all take to heart in in one form or fashion is to be yourself and and not let people dictate to you who you are no matter your race no matter your gender no matter your beliefs or anything like that and i think that like i said in a bigger picture that is a message we can all take away but i think this movie is really gearing this towards the black community on a, on a more specific level and granted i'm sure i'm only touching the surface scratching the surface of some of the bigger themes and some of the smaller themes throughout this there's just so much to unpack with this movie it's the kind of movie that you could watch it more than one time two times three times four times and really kind of learn or glean something uh different or, or, or something new from it. And I look forward to watching it again. Uh, my, Like I said, my wife uh, divulged to me that she was like, oh, I kind of wanted to watch that with you because uh, I decided to watch it while she and her mother were out shopping. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll watch it again because I think it's a movie that I need to watch again uh, because, like I said, there's just so many themes going on here and so many things being touched that... They, I, I don't know as if you can fully take it in just on one viewing. But also the dialogue in this. Uh, another one of the things I really loved about this movie is the dialogue in this and the banter is just so quick and so witty and a ton of pop culture references. The The dialogue in this really reminded me of like a Kevin Smith film, like that first Clerks film, uh, probably the best example, or maybe Mallrats, and that, that witty back and forth between characters intertwined with all these pop culture references. It, it was just so fun, and the humor was wonderful. It's the kind of comedy I enjoy in horror and science fiction where it doesn't feel sitcom-y. It doesn't feel like set-up punchline. It's just all within the reactions and and actions of people and the comebacks and the little bits of sarcasm and sniping and snarking. Uh, that that kind of stuff is fun for me. It's, it's fun to listen to witty repartee like that. And and I think the actors, especially uh, Jamie Foxx and Tayona Paris, uh, did a wonderful job. Uh, those two sniping back and forth were just hilarious. And like I said, uh, Tayona Paris as Yo-Yo had like the lion's share of all of the references, just constantly referencing things, uh, the Nancy Drew stuff. I, I always kind of, you know, I've heard other people talking about it too, so I guess I'm not original in this, but I always felt like, and they do reference Nancy Drew in this because she apparently was a big Nancy Drew fan growing up, but she kind of felt like a cross between uh, Nancy Drew meets Foxy Brown and just a, a fantastic character. But those wonderful pop culture references in her dialogue, she just nailed all of them. 
uh, nailed the they nailed the humor. Jamie Foxx, of course, is going to nail the humor. That guy's uh, hilarious. But there's also a lot of references in this movie. I mean, there's so many different things this uh, movie kind of draws from. It, it, in, in some regards, it's a little bit Goonies. In other regards, it's a little bit a clockwork orange. In some regards, and I've heard a lot of people compare this to Get Out uh, from Jordan Peele. I, I don't... I, I get where you would draw the parallels... Uh, but I think the that's I would probably uh, link this movie or, or draw a parallel line between this movie and us uh, more than I would or, or before I would do it with uh, Get Out. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of the a lot of themes, a lot of similar themes as Get Out, but I think from a from a bigger standpoint governmental conspiracy that sort of thing i think you're looking at something it feels a little more like us which uh, for my money one of my favorite uh jordan peele movies hands down but i know joel taylor said that he drew a lot of inspiration from films that influenced him like they live uh groundhog day i could see both of those it follows eh, maybe i i could see in in some regards uh, napoleon dynamite uh, he drew some influence from so uh, a lot of these these great films and uh, and i love that it's such a diverse group of films that he drew inspiration from uh, as an influence on this film and it really kind of resonates throughout this movie like i said with a lot of the pop culture references and and the vast majority of those leaning towards science fiction and horror and and great genre another thing i really dug about this film was the look and the feel of the film i mean this movie really felt like a like the glen is a land out of time because it has so many decades of influence in it. In some regards, it feels like modern day. In some regards, it feels like the 90s. In some regards, it feels like going back to the the 70s. And that's in the sets and the stores that you come across. It's in the costumes. I mean, Slick Charles looks like a 70s pimp. <laughs> Straight out of 70s. Uh, Yo-Yo looks like a late 70s, early 80s prostitute. Fontaine looks a little more modern. And it's really hard to place what era this is in. And even the look of the film itself. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing they filmed it on film and not just digitally. Uh, it had that kind of graininess to it. Uh, the title cards felt like, you know, like a 70s exploitation film. Uh, just the look and the the costumes were were vibrant although the, the look you know the whole film had almost a, a slight muted look to it uh, felt very much of the the 70s and of, of film stock but there was a vibrance to that mutedness that uh, really came through in all the colors of the costumes and you know all the different characters had these different kind of color themes going on just a stunning film to look at. And from a cinematography standpoint, they had a lot of really cool camera movements and camera angles that, that made it really fun to watch for the for the better part of this movie. And this is a two-hour-plus movie. And there were some moments where it started to feel like it was dragging a little bit. But then the action would pick back up, right? As soon as it would get to the precipice of uh, this is this is going on a little long, then the action would pick up again. So it, it didn't necessarily feel like the two-hour 
runtime that it that it actually was. Now, could they have trimmed off uh, twenty minutes to a half hour? I, I don't know about a half hour, but I think you know if they they trimmed off. 10, 15 minutes or so, it, it wouldn't have hurt this film. But like I said, uh, the two-hour runtime, you never really felt the weight of that. There were a couple times it came close, but it, but it, you know, like I said, things picked back up. And the soundtrack was really cool. I think probably the coolest thing about the soundtrack, though, was the end credit song. Uh, of course, there's that Erica Badu song from 97 called Tyrone. And they had her, she re-recorded this song and changed some of the lyrics. And some of the lyrics kind of she changed them to sound like it's talking about mind control. And there's that that line at the beginning of the song where it says you got to bring Jim, James, Paul, and Tyrone. And it's talking about uh, cloning Jim, James, Paul, and Tyrone. And during the chorus, it says you need to call Tyrone. Well, in this version, uh, the clone Tyrone, it just was... So cool. And I'm not a huge Erica Badu fan, but uh, but I know this song. And of course, uh, working in the music industry and radio uh, for, for decades, uh, being a fan of music in general, uh, you know, I'm, I'm well aware of this song. So to hear them do this version that's kind of playing into the, the whole idea of this movie was just so fun. It made... Like your, you know, regular credits. It made me sit there and watch through the credits just to hear what they changed in this song to make it sound like it's talking about uh, government conspiracies and mind control and stuff like that. And then, of course, at the very end, you you had that scene where you think everything's done in the Glen, but they go out in the Glen. Well, they don't really tell you where it is. Even the license plates on the cars, uh, the license plate doesn't say a state, and it's very like white and like blue letters or something like that and it just says a swell place <laughs> and so you have no idea but it really felt kind of rust belt y uh, i know they referenced detroit so at maybe maybe this is somewhere a suburb of detroit or chicago somewhere around there illinois michigan that's kind of where it felt to me maybe you could even go into ohio but it cuts to california obviously california and uh, you see what you think is the Fontaine character waking up again. And it's not Fontaine. And he's doing all the Fontaine things. Uh, but he's living in California because the house looks like that was the set from Friday's. I don't know if that was, but it, but it looked like one of those houses from that uh, from that neighborhood in Friday's. And they're seeing news reports. And, and before you find out whether they're... You know, these news reports are coming from the Glen or coming from somewhere else. Uh, you see the Fontaine character or a Fontaine clone and somebody looks at him and then looks at who we think may be Fontaine in California. And they say, isn't that you, Tyrone, or something like that? I, I can't remember the, the exact line from the movie. I think there might be a, a swear word in there somewhere. But, uh, but we find out this is the titular Tyrone from the clone Tyrone, which leads itself to the possibility of a sequel. You've got Yo-Yo, Slick Charles, and Fontaine going to Memphis to try and bust up some uh, experiment and uh, motherfuckers down there. Uh, you don't know. I, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see where they go with this movie if they do a sequel. I don't think it needs a sequel. I, I like movies that end like this, kind of open-ended. 
But uh, but if they do a sequel to this, I, I think it'll be fun. And I'm looking forward to it because I really enjoyed this movie. As somebody who's probably not the intended audience, uh, I enjoyed the... I enjoyed the messages, uh, you know, and and I'm the kind of person that I'm not afraid to have society look itself in the mirror. I'm not afraid to look myself in the mirror, and and so I appreciate that. I, I think all of the the governmental conspiracy theory stuff was very interesting because, you know, as much as you want to say that, you know, not all conspiracy theories are true, the government gives you reason to believe that some conspiracy theories might be true, especially in the black community when you've got the Tuskegee syphilis experimentation that that went on uh, decades ago, and you've got the the admission that you know crack cocaine being introduced into to black neighborhoods and and some of the the major cities so you wonder why people have all these conspiracy theories it's because the government gives them reason to and and you know it's it's kind of uh, shameful that it is the white man, um, you know, in these seats of government that are doing this sort of shit, and it's it's frightening and it's angering to think that that sort of shit still goes on today. I'm very much of the belief that, you know, I'm no better than somebody else. Somebody else is no better than me, no matter uh, their gender, the color of their skin, whatever religion they are, whatever belief system they have, you know, we're all, we're all equal. And I try to treat people the same way I would want to be treated. But when you think of people in power, uh, doing shit like this to people, uh, unbeknownst to them. And that just doesn't sit well with me. So, yeah, I mean, uh, as much as you want to sit there and say that, oh, you know, this, this shit would never happen, this shit has happened. And I, I think it takes a movie like this to really, like I said, put that mirror up to society so society can look itself in the face and, and decide what it wants to be, whether you're black, white, red, yellow, purple, whatever. And while maybe I'm not the target audience for this, I think it's this kind of movie that uh, makes you take stock in things like that and where you stand on things like that. So ultimately, uh, a fantastic movie. They clone Tyrone. Joel Taylor, a uh, really wonderful job as a first-time feature film director. So much so that I am really excited to see what he does next because I, I thought he did a really good job with this from a directing standpoint, from a writing standpoint with him and, and Tony uh, Rittenmayer. Uh, I, I thought they wrote a wonderful script. I think... You know, that for me is why this movie is as good as it is, uh, because it had a good solid foundation with a good story and a good script. And then when you add uh, fantastic actors like John Boyega, like Jamie Foxx, like Taona Paris, that just solidifies that strong foundation. And when you have a, a vision from a, a wonderful director like Joel Taylor, I think it's got all the earmarks and all the hallmarks of a wonderful movie. And then you, you sprinkle in actors like David Allen Greer and Kiefer Sutherland. And it just, like I said, the cherry on top of a really delicious Sunday. And that's why I liked They Clone Tyrone. It was one of those movies that really you can't peg down to a singular genre, but it had so many great elements of so many different great genres. You had the the sci-fi aspect of this you had the mystery aspect of this you had the comedy aspect of this there were some creepy scenes when they're snooping around down in the in the you know the subterranean lair that while it wasn't horror it added 
suspense and tension and atmosphere, the kind of things you get from a horror movie without it actually being horror. And when you see all the things that influenced Joel Taylor to make this movie, you can see all of those influences ingrained in the fabric of this movie and one of the many facets that made this such a joy to watch and and such a fun watch and a watch that I can't wait to do again when I watch this movie again, only this time with my wife, probably sometime this weekend. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on They Clone Tyrone. You can check it out on Netflix if you haven't already. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. If not, hey, you know, there's always, uh, there's always next time, but, uh, But I encourage you, if you have watched it, uh, give it a second watch. It's definitely one of those movies I think you'll you'll pick up more with every watching because the dialogue goes by so quick, the references go by so quick, the little subtleties and little Easter eggs uh, peppered throughout this movie go by so quick that I think you need at least a couple watches to really drink all of it in. And, and I can't wait to watch it again. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on They Clone Tyrone. You can find out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. You can check out trailers. I always share articles at my two cents. You can check us out on Instagram with all sorts of pictures and, and all that crazy Instagram stuff that the kids do these days. No matter where you listen to this podcast, please follow it, like it, subscribe it, thumbs up it if you're on YouTube. No matter what you're listening to it on, please Uh, follow us, subscribe, all that jazz, and leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. Whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. And probably the most important thing you can do is share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and get the word out so we can get those numbers up and keep doing what we're doing here with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!